Hello and welcome. My name is Shanna Whitaker with Saltbox Church, and we are so excited you found us and are carving out some time for King Jesus. So I invite you to put your phones down, your to-do list away, and open your hearts to receive the Word of God. Praise Jesus. Good morning. Happy fall. Tim Livingston, happy 44th birthday. Tim's one of our trustees. Just happened to see him sitting there. Take your Bible and turn to uh, Acts 15. Um, We're going to cross-reference something out of Galatians 2. So Acts 15 and the corresponding text is Galatians 2 and 3. So if you want to put your finger in both places, we are going to look at it. Um, Let me set the table uh, sort of like this. Um, And then we're going to look at... Really, Acts 15 is like a... Uh, it's like this watershed moment in the church. And if Acts 15 didn't happen, if it went the other direction of the way that that it ended up going, um, it really would have been the end of Christianity as we know it before it even started. Okay, so this is a huge um, text. So what I want to do is we're going to take a look at Acts 15. We're also going to take a look um, at a historical, very similar event um, as Acts 15. And I'm going to share a little snippet of my own story, which is also similar. Okay? You got it? All right. So let me just give, bring you up to speed on Acts 15. Um, then we'll talk about the historical thing. We'll take a, a look at my life, uh, a couple things from my life, and then we're going to read. Um, okay, so Acts 15, as we pick up here, what has happened is Paul and Barnabas have just returned from their missionary journey, and there's been one or two Gentiles. So if you're not a Jew, you're a welcome. If you're like me, you're a Gentile. Okay. So one or two Gentile conversions have given way to like this huge flood. Like a, uh, it's, it's like this little trickle and all of a sudden the dam broke and this huge river of conversions is happening. And initially, um, the Jewish leaders, so the, the head of the church is in Jerusalem. It's sort of shifting up to Antioch. Um, but initially, the Jewish leaders had no difficulty with this general concept of Gentiles coming to faith. There's all sorts of Old Testament, actually, um, passages that predicted the inclusion of the Gentiles. So this is no, like, huge surprise for a minute. But a particular question begins to form in the minds of the Jewish leaders. And that is, what does it mean to incorporate um, what were unbelieving Gentiles into a believing um, community? In other words, what does this Jesus community look like, and what does God really intend for the Gentiles? Does that make sense? Let me simplify this. Essentially, do Gentiles have to become Jews before they can become Christians? That's the question, but that's what's being wrestled sort of right here. So, so far, all these Jewish leaders have sort of assumed that everyone would be absorbed into kind of the Israel, uh, um, into the blessing of Israel, the family of Israel, by circumcision and then by observing the Old Testament law of Moses. Okay, that's kind of the basic assumption in the, in the leaders. Um, but the torrent of believing Gentiles is now so big that something different begins to happen. And guess what? When everything changes, what do the leaders do? <sighs> who, who likes change? Most of us are change adverse, right? We, we are slow to change. We resist it. So change is happening. Gentile converts are being welcomed into fellowship. It's now Christian fellowship. It's not just Jewish fellowship. And it's being done without circumcision and without adherence to the law of Moses. So they're becoming Christians without becoming Jews. Make sense? 
Okay, so I'm just kind of setting the whole stage for you. So if I could like really narrow down what are these Jewish leaders beginning to wrestle with, they're beginning to um, wrestle with a couple of questions that are sort of looming on the horizon. Here they are. Can they approve uh, of a conversion to Christ without circumcision? We're going to talk more about that. Number two, can they approve of faith in Christ Jesus without the additional works of the Old Testament Levitical law? Follow me? Okay. Number three, can they approve um, of commitment to Christ the Messiah without inclusion into Judaism? Fourth question, was their vision big enough, were their hearts in some ways big enough that they could see the gospel of Christ not as a reformation of Judaism, which is what they thought, but see it as really a mission and a message and a hope for the entire world, okay? And then the last question is, can they see the church of Christ not as a Jewish sect, but a new multinational, international family of God? Follow me? All right, now, before we start reading, um, there was another, so, and this is like this huge fulcrum point or this pivot point um, in history. It might even be the high point of the book of Acts because of what happens here. But there was something similar that happened October 31st of 1517. Believe it or not, October 31st was not just Halloween. It's actually Reformation Day. If I could change that uh, a holiday celebration, I probably would. But regardless, um, a guy named Martin Luther wrote 95 theses, and he nailed them to a door of what's called the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and that began the Protestant Reformation, okay? And I'm, not, uh, I'm really not condemning um, the Catholic Church at this moment, but there was some things that had unvel- or, or unfolded in the Catholic Church, um, primarily around the selling of indulgences, which is forgiveness basically by works, Okay, so you're, you, you, would, uh, you would buy with money or with deeds and these indulgences, and then you'd be declared forgiven. Now, it's exactly what's happening, actually, in Acts 15. The very same thing is beginning to unfold, okay? So you've got these two uh, events that have happened almost 1,500 years apart, but they're very, very similar. And I would actually say to you that periodically the church comes back around to this same thing. So the question is, Are we, as New Testament believers, walking by grace alone, through faith alone, through the person of Jesus alone, or are we at any level trying to perform or work our way into God's saving grace? Make sense? All right, that's what we're wrestling with. Okay, so really, if you dug a little bit deeper into church history, um, what Martin Luther kicked off, and then Calvin, and there was half a dozen other people that got involved, but eventually the five solas, um, which is just Latin, um, but, but that sort of emerged, and it, the five solas are basically by grace alone, by faith alone, by Christ alone, by scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And guess what? They just copped that out of Acts 15. Because it's, it's the same, very similar thing. Now, are you ready? Because I'm going to share something personal. It might, it might rock your boat a little bit. I don't intend to, but it needs to be shared. <clears throat> um, 1999, I graduated from John T. Hoggard High School, like right over there. And after um, I, was, I, I was a believer, I love Jesus, I'm heading into ministry, um, I'm going to like go to seminary and plant a church, right? My plan. Woo, it was a good plan. Didn't happen. Um, and <laughs> then I went over to UNCW. 
And at UNCW, because I had been a successful speaker in ministry, whatever, young ministry leader, 18-year-old kid, I got picked up and recruited by Campus Crusade for Christ to be their student speaker and leader. So they have me emceeing, and they have me um, speaking at various events. And over the course of time, um, a group of Crusade staff members, and and let me pause here and say something to you. I love um, the larger network of Campus Crusade. It's now called Crew. Um, I love Bill and Vonette Bright. Some of what Bill Bright did um, is extraordinary in terms of the, the ground that was taken biblically and spiritually. However, I'm a student, and some other leaders came into um, our crusade movement. They were on staff with crusade, and they began to teach a gospel that was just click, 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 a couple of clicks off. And if anybody's a sailor, I don't know if you're a sailor. I, I liked, I've only sailed a couple of big races, but I like to sail once in a while. And if you cross an ocean, click, 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 a few clicks off, guess how far off you're going to be off your destination? Ooh, you might miss it by a thousand miles. I mean, it's a deal, right? In, in the moment, click, click, click is not all that big a deal. But when you continue over time, it, it creates a mess. Okay, here is the, the long story made very short, and it's going to open some questions for you, and that's okay. I got pulled I got drug, I chose by an own act of my will to get involved with this group through Campus Crusade for Christ, and it became a cult. Now, I don't say that lightly, okay? This is not like a little cliche, you know, I'm not throwing out a little casual thing. It was clinically diagnosed as a court of, in a court of law as a cult, seriously. And I spent seven years of my life wrapped up in this thing. And the cost on me personally the cost on Abby and I and our marriage, the price even that you will never know that Abby has paid to walk with me and to be my husband is absolutely, or my wife, excuse me, is absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. We needed a moment of levity. <laughs> but the price that Abby has paid uh, to be my wife is absolutely extraordinary. Now, Nutshell version, God reached in sovereignly through no human agent after seven years in this mess and rescued me, like pulled me out supernaturally. And if there's anything that I would say is a hallmark of who I am as a person, who I am as someone who teaches um, the scriptures, who, who I am as someone who loves Jesus, it is because I have been radically saved and converted. And the gospel to me, the Bible to me, is not merely words on a page. It is, it is life. It is salvation. And I have experienced personally the resurrection power of King Jesus. And not only have I experienced it once, I've experienced it again and again and again. And so you could throw me any scripture in the Bible on any day, and I could probably take it, and we could swing right into the resurrection power of Jesus because it oozes out of me. There is no one else under heaven who has the words or the path or the way to be saved apart from King Jesus. And until I breathe my last, I will preach him big. Amen? Okay. So now let me tie this in because we're in Acts 15. We've got Martin Luther in his 95 Theses and we've got Michael's story. I am convinced, had the Lord... Now, do I think God caused me to click, 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 go down a path and ultimately join a cult? Absolutely not. Do I think God sovereignly allowed me to? I do. Do I think that there were a number of character flaws inside of me that set me up with a predisposition, click, 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 to fall prey to this? And I do. 
But here's the redemptive part of it, is I am just about convinced that had I continued on the trajectory I was on, that I would have become a self-righteous person preaching more Michael than Jesus. You hear me? Because I had mostly done everything by the book. I'd mostly done everything right. And unbeknownst to me, sort of undiscerned deep inside of my heart, my reliance was more on Michael than on Jesus. And so the grace of God that I would say to you in my life is that God in his sovereign graciousness saw fit and probably went something like, son, I'm going to allow you to be sifted. I'm going to allow you to be broken. I'm going to allow you to fall prey to this because when you turn, you're going to understand the saving grace of Christ Jesus in such a way that if you hadn't tasted your own depravity and sin and the supernatural restoration power of God, that you would not be able to boldly declare the gospel. And so to that I say, yes, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for what you allowed in Michael's life. Amen? Let that also be a lesson of how you should handle hardship in your own. Serious. Take that to the bank. Let's decide. Okay. Now, what we're looking at in Acts 15, just like uh, 1517, just like Michael's life, is if we are not careful, what begins by grace alone can become a, a, um, an a- external work of our own strength and performance. Make sense? Okay, so let's open this thing up and let's read it. Um, Acts 15. This is 20 years-ish, give or take, after Christ Jesus ascended to so the coronation of Christ Jesus and then the coming of the Holy Spirit a few days later um, at Pentecost. So 20 years later, Here we are. Let's go. Acts 15. Certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch. Now, the church in Antioch is the sending church of Paul and Barnabas, right? It's becoming the the hub of the New Testament church. And they were teaching the believers. So here's what they're teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So here's what they're saying. The gospel of Jesus, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, Jesus alone, um, uh, to the glory of God alone. They're saying, this is is what you've been hearing, but we're telling you if you're not circumcised and if you do not obey the law of Moses, you cannot be. So all of a sudden what they've done is they've gone grace alone um, plus your good works um, plus your adherence to the law of Moses plus circumcision equals salvation. You follow me? Now, this is subtle because I think in a lot of ways what sneaks in to our own understanding of how God transforms the human heart, how God sanctifies the human heart, is that we start right, but then we um, actually shift and get off course. So so where we're going to end here at the end of my message is actually in Galatians 3. And here's what uh, Paul writes in Galatians 3.1. I'm going to go right back to Acts 15. Um, But here's what he writes. You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? What strong language? Bewitched. He's saying you began by faith alone, grace alone, through Christ alone. If you just keep reading, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? I mean, Paul is like hammering it here. After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? Okay, pause. Back to Acts 15. So these people roll in. 
We know from another place that they're Pharisees, they're of the circumcision party is what they called them, and they start teaching. Click, 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 click. Now, here's the problem, is they're teaching something that had the apostles not ultimately checked it, had they not stopped it, um, then it could have actually derailed and taken Christianity into um, what we know as Christianity, into some Jewish sect, and you could even say maybe even some weird cult. So let's look. Verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas, and Paul is a fierce, feisty, I mean, he is like sharp on the tongue and quick, I mean, he is like all over it. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute. Do you think their voices were raised? I bet. This brought them into sharp dispute uh, and debate with them. By the way, uh, people in, um, I have a friend and he says that the Middle East are characterized by like warm culture. So America and like the UK, we're like cold culture. So we're like reserved and we try to be a little like pious. But in a warm culture, everybody is loud, right? Everybody's yelling at a stoplight, you know, 18 horns are going, Ehh! you know, that's, that's like warm culture. But here we try to be very reserved and keep everything sort of inside. So warm culture, you get into this. Paul and Barnabas in a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul is throwing down. Okay, that's what that means. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. What question? Do you have to follow the law of Moses and do you have to be circumcised in order to be saved? Okay, great. Here we go. So, um, let me cross-reference here back to Galatians because I think it's just important to understand This is Galatians 2, verses 11 to 13, and Paul's actually talking about this very scenario, okay? If you don't want to turn there, just listen, I'll read it. Galatians 2, verse 11 to 13. When Cephas came to Antioch, now who's Cephas? That's Simon Peter, that's like his proper name. I opposed him to his face. Did they have a happy conversation? No, that's like me calling somebody up here on stage. Tony? Come up here on stage. I've got something to sort out with you. I mean, really, that's exactly what he's doing. He opposed him to his face. Do you think there was a group of people around? Probably so. So there's an error in the church, and the Bible always says to deal with the error in the the forum or in the arena in which it was committed. So if somebody sins against you privately, how do you deal with it? Privately. Do you ever take that a private sin public? No. But if someone sins publicly, you often have to deal with the correction publicly. Okay, so that's kind of the principle that you begin to see here. So um, Galatians 2, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Listen to this. Because he stood condemned. I mean, that's heavy. Like we today say, oh, that's judgmental. He's being judgy. Well, I guess he's being true. He stood condemned. Verse 12. For before certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. So who does Peter eat with? The Gentiles. Now, some people have come down from James. There's probably an indicator that they're actually trying to separate James, who's the brother of Jesus, and Paul. So, like, you know, they're trying to, like, divide the church. Divisiveness is a huge deal. But regardless, when they arrived, um, he, Peter, began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. So Peter's eating with who? Gentiles. He's hanging out with them. Um, He is not requiring that they adhere to the law of Moses. But all of a sudden, these people show up. Click, 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 click. 
and they start to teach, well, it is grace alone, but you got to follow the law of Moses, and you got to have the Levitical laws, and you've got to be circumcised, and only then, and only then, can you actually be saved. Right? And so Peter, all of a sudden, who is this great, the apostle Peter, like the one who walked on water, the one who rolled with Jesus, the one who walked Jesus, watched Jesus break bread and feed multitudes twice. I mean, he's been with them. He saw them resurrected. He saw them ascended. He's been with them all along. All of a sudden, Peter is like cowering, and he's afraid of this circumcision party, and they're going, click, 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 click. And what's Peter do? Okay. That's what, exactly what happened. That's why Paul is opposing him to his face. Now, Paul, from the very beginning, if you've been with us throughout this whole teaching, Paul is called to be a standard bearer, like a flag bearer, a Jesus bearer, if you will, to the Gentiles. So Paul has this like super educated, fiercely sharp mind, relationally oriented with King Jesus and Yahweh God, and he is in some ways defending the gospel. So he sees this, click, 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 and he, and he is watching them go off the rails, and he calls them back, and He's unafraid to do it in a sharp, perhaps not so tame way. All right, let's keep going. For certain people um, came from James, who was in Jerusalem. He, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Okay, and we're going to get more into that. I realize that might be uncomfortable for you, but you'll be okay. Verse 13. The other Jews joined uh, him in his hypocrisy. Oh, my goodness. Like, the Bible is full of super strong language. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas is led astray. Now, who rolls with Paul? I mean, Paul's own dude. They're like thick, right? They roll together. It's like ride or die. And all of a sudden, Barnabas and Peter, click, 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 click. And all of a sudden, they're all rolling down this, like they're veering fully off course. And it's almost like for a minute in time, Paul is the only one going, hey, you guys are leaving the rails. You're moving off course. It's what Martin Luther did in 1517. It's what probably several, two or three dozen people tried to do in my life in 1999 and 2000 and 2001 when Michael went click, 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 and then just... So you have the Apostle Paul here who is standing as this standard bearer, bringing the truth back. So Peter has been led astray. Um, Barnabas has been led astray. So let's go back. Where in the world am I? Acts 15. Thank goodness for some sticky notes. Okay, Acts 15. Um. So now you understand sort of what's happening. You know the behind the scenes. So Paul and Barnabas are now being sent up to Jerusalem. It's actually south, but up to Jerusalem. Nothing's higher than Jesus. Nothing's higher than Jerusalem. That's kind of the idea. So they go south to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. Verse 3. The church sent them on their way. Now, I love this because you always have the church sending. The church, like, authorizes the elders, whoever, pastors, preachers, prophets, whatever. They send Paul and Barnabas. So the church sends them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had become converted. So Paul and Barnabas are just sharing the truth. This made all the believers very Glad, very happy, okay. So when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything had gone done, everything God had done through them. So now they're also reporting here all that had happened on their missionary journey. So 
it's like they're having another missions conference. They're just sharing. This is what happened, and then God did this, and in this city God did this, and God accomplished this, and this many people came to Christ, and we baptized this many people, and -and so-and-so was saved. Like, they're just going through the whole deal. This is likely where Dr. Luke is also hanging around, even recording and and, uh, narrating and beginning to write things down in this little book we call Acts. Okay, so... um, Verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, here they go, click, 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 the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up, now let's just pause, did they pray? I'm sure they did, but does it say they prayed? What's it say? It says in their warm culture, they hashed it out. They fought it out. They listened to one another. Okay, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Let me pause here and just say there's two, I think, crux principles of of Christianity, of the God of the Bible that are at stake at this particular moment. Um, Was, uh, number one question, was the gift of God, now who's the gift of God? Jesus, right? Was the gift of God um, for the select few, Jews, or was it for Everybody. Now, but in, and it's like it's hard because we like sit in judgment on them and we're like, well, how could you want to keep it to yourself? But half the churches around want to isolate, separate. We get this us and them kind of thing going on, right? And we like want to stay within our walls and we hoist ourselves away. You know, it's like it's, it's so easy to be critical of this group, but it's also you could look around and go, man, if we're not careful, we can be just like them. Okay, so, the, so number one, it was the gift of God for the select few, or was it for the whole world? I'd reference Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Second question, if we possess the gift of God, what's the gift of God? Christ Jesus. Is the gift of God a privilege to be worn, or is it a responsibility to bear? Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's step back into this. And, and let, me, um, let me say a couple things because I, I realize we're talking about circumcision and that's kind of maybe weird and uncomfortable for you. If it is, I'm sorry. Um, but point of a uh, couple, couple thoughts. I don't think it is an accident that in the Old Testament, and I'm really not trying to be like sassy or I'm I'm just telling you something, okay? I don't think it's an accident that the God of the Bible requires something of men that they hold dear. You hear me? Now, just go there a second. God requires Um, us as believers to come to the point where we surrender our lives to him. 
Okay, I'm going to talk more about that. But in order to experience the saving life of Christ in you and through you, you must give him yourself. You must surrender yourself. So in Michael's case, I think, was Michael saved at age 17, 18, 19? Yes, I was. But I, had, I was performing my Christian walk in my own steam, and I was doing pretty well. And guess what? I didn't really need but seven years after being in a cult, I'm living in a state of total depravity and poverty, and I'm in a huge mess. I'm in the worst spot of my entire life. I need the grace of God because I can't even stand up. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make decisions. I don't know how to move forward. I don't know where to go. And suddenly I need the grace of God. So God requires in the Old Testament that you give something, that you surrender um, yourself to him. And he's beginning to sort of pave this way from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now, I want to read two things for you. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Now, hang with me, okay? Don't get weirded out. Hang with me. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. If you want to write it down or turn there, feel free. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts. This is Old Testament. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. So the indication is if God doesn't cut away the old man or woman, if God doesn't cut away the flesh principle, Paul would say the Sark's principle that lives within you, if God doesn't cut away the ugliness of your own wicked heart and my own wicked heart, then we are not going to be able to love him and live. You follow me? Go back. So that, why is he going to circumcise your heart? So that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. So that's when I go, come to Christ Jesus, surrender your heart to him and let him plant inside of you a new heart and a new mind and let the resurrection power of Jesus begin to live in you and through you. That's a circumcised heart. Follow me? Whew, I must be, I must be messing with y'all. Okay, uh, I'm going to read Romans 2.29 because I, I want you to see both Old Testament and New Testament on this. It's so important. Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. Here's what it says. This is Paul writing the book of Romans, which is, I mean, probably the like, theological high point of anything ever written in the history of the world, I would say. Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. I'm, I'm like afraid to preach through Romans. It's just, it's that good. I mean, Really? Verse, verse 28, a person is not a Jew who was one only outwardly. So by body, by blood, okay. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise are not from other people, but from God. Okay, now, dig back to Acts 15. So here's, here's what I want you to begin to grasp is um, circumcision was an act in the New Testament that symbolized that God would require you to give, to, to lay something down, to give something so that you could experience the life of Christ in you and through you. That's the Old Testament version. The New Testament is the same thing, and it's for both male and female. He requires that you have a circumcised heart. That's just the way it is. That is the only way into the gospel of King Jesus. And the huge danger, 
want to be very careful here, but I also want to say it with super clarity because the huge danger of much of what the American church is touting right now is this easy believe gospel where you just kind of like close your hands and raise your, you know, close your eyes and raise your hand and you repeat after me. And it, it, it lacks the full orbed understanding that no, 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 no. This isn't just like a fire insurance policy that you buy or a life insurance and then you go on and do whatever you want. No, no, no. This is like you come to the king of glory and you lay it all down. You surrender it all. You give him your heart and your mind and your life and everything becomes his. And in exchange, the king of glory comes and lives inside of you, resurrecting every part of you. And there's a transformative Jesus journey that happens. And it happens again and again and again and again and again. But the risk is that if we minimize the gospel of Jesus to a few cute words, which I'm not entirely against an altar call and raising hands, God uses that. But if we reduce the gospel to something that is just this kind of easy thing that we can kind of believe and go on our jolly way, we are missing the point. Because what God requires is that we actually come to him and he circumcises and cuts our heart, the old heart. He gives us then a new heart. That's what Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah would all say. Okay. Back to this. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. The apostles and elders, I'm in Acts 15, verse 6. The apostles and elders um, met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now, it would appear from the Galatians text that Peter, um, click, 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 recognized he was wrong. He was moving in a sinful direction. And what do you recognize when you're moving, or what do you do when you're moving in a sinful direction? You go, Lord, forgive me. You just repent. Some of you, that's a bad word if you've been in church a long time, but it's not a bad word. Repentance means you change your heart and mind to align with his, and you get to appropriate or make your own the resurrection power of King Jesus. That's what repentance is. So I, this is now Michael's extrapolation from Scripture, but at some point, click, 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 Peter was going off kilter, and he recognized it probably when Paul got up in his face. You better repent. And Peter probably, I mean, I, although I bet Peter bowed up good. I mean, I bet there was a minute there between those boys and some sparks flew. But at some point, Peter went, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? I think Paul is right. I repent. And then he, he turns and sort of realigns. So all that must have happened behind the scenes of this text. Now, uh, back to it. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Who's he talking about? A guy named Cornelius is who he preached to. As a total non-believer, a Gentile came to faith in Christ. Verse 8. God who knows the heart. This is always what God's concerned with is the heart. Not your behavior, not what you're doing. He's concerned with your heart. And ultimately, your behavior will indicate where you're Heart is. That is true. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. Now, I love this. I'm not going to take you there. But when Peter was preaching to this group of people, God had the audacity to show up and, like, break out. And he interrupted Peter's sermon. It's great. Okay, verse 9. He did not discriminate between us and them. Who's the us? Jews and Gentiles. Okay. For he purified their hearts by faith. Did he purify their hearts by works of the law? No. Did he purify their hearts through circumcision? No. He purified their hearts by faith. Verse 10. 
Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke? A yoke is like an old school wooden thing that they would hook up to oxen um, or donkeys or occasionally horses, but usually oxen, and they would like plow fields, right? So he's saying, why are you putting, and he's actually likening the old covenant, the Mosaic law, to a yoke. And he's saying, why are you putting on the, yoke, on the um, Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Okay, so in other words, he's saying, hey, me, Peter, has absolutely failed to live up to the law of Moses. And y'all have all failed. Everybody I know has failed. So why would we demand that a bunch of Christians who've been saved by faith alone through grace alone would come back under the old way? Why are you putting a yoke of death on them? It's freedom in Christ. Verse 11, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So he just like killed the us and them. Just like burnt it down. There is no more us and them. Neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. That is Pauline. Like Paul sitting here listening to Peter talk, whether Peter said it first or Paul said it first, I don't know, but it is. Verse 12, the whole assembly, I love this, became silent as they listen to Barnabas and Paul. So you get this idea that Peter finishes. There's lots of reverence and respect for Peter. And then Paul steps up, who is, I mean, at this point, it's like he is out preaching. Cities are being transformed. Miracles are happening. Um, so Paul stands up and everyone becomes, there's like awe and respect for Paul and for Barnabas. They told him about the signs and wonders of what God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Now, I love James here. And, and this is just a quick nutshell. Um, James uh, is actually the brother of Jesus. And it's, it's really a beautiful thing because James it, technically was not a, a, one of the first apostles because he rejected the lordship of Christ. Um, and, and by all accounts, as much as we can tell, he was not really favorable towards uh, the Lord Jesus until Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and then ascended. And somewhere after that, um, the Holy Spirit got a hold of James's heart, and he became so powerful that he actually became like the second pastor, or the second to, after Peter transitioned out of pastoring the church in Jerusalem, James steps in. So James is now like the head of the Jerusalem church. So it's no accident. And there's even like some, there's some reverence here because Peter gets up and speaks. Then Paul and Barnabas get up and speak. And then James, who's the literal brother of Jesus, stands up to speak. In other words, he saw the Lord Jesus. Um, he was younger than him, so he, but he would have seen him grow up at some level, watched his entire ministry, and now he's given his life um, for Jesus. Ultimately, he's going to die. He's going to write the book of James, and he's going to die professing the lordship of Christ. Okay. <clears throat> James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, now who's Simon. Peter, that's right, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this as it is written. Now he's citing the Old Testament, and I, we could really spend a lot of time here, I'm not going to, but verse 16 says, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Now who did Christ Jesus come through? David, that's right. He came through the line of King David. Its ruins will be rebuilt, and I will restore it. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of 
David, okay. Verse 17, and the rest of humanity um, may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. Says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. So what James is basically saying is, look, God's intended this from the very beginning. It's time that we all catch up. We've been a little slow. Verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Okay, verse 20. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood, which I want to talk about for just a minute. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, that is, those are a weird four things in verse 20. Why is he saying that? And I just want to simplify it to the best of our ability. Do I think that this is a universal law for all Christians for all time? No, here's why. And I'm not, I, I'm, some of it is universal. I mean, so, you know, abstain from sexual immorality, absolutely. But I'm talking about the way an animal's killed or the way meat is prepared. Is, that, is, is there like direction for how we should cook? That's really what I'm asking. You follow me? And, and here's what I want to propose to you. In this day and age, um, I wonder what percentage of the New Testament believers were Jews. 60? 70? 50? I don't know, but a big chunk. And then you have this percentage of New Testament believers who are what? Gentiles. The Jews haven't yet stepped out of Judaism. So there are certain things, not only can they not eat, they're not even going to be in the house with. You hear me? So when, when, when James says, hey, uh, abstain from food polluted by idols or meat strangled with animals um, and blood. What he is saying is don't do these things because it will break the fellowship of these new fledgling churches because people won't be able to eat together. They won't be able to do life together. They won't be able to have small groups together. They won't be able to gather together and worship. You follow me? <laughs> so this is not some like odd infinitum eternal truth. This is how we have to prepare meat. This is more um, so that the New Testament fledgling church doesn't break. Do these things out of respect, honoring, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So prefer or defer to the, the Jews' um, dietary restrictions so that you can break bread one with another. Follow me? Okay. <clears throat> The New Testament church is all of a sudden preaching this idea that we are saved by believing, um, not by working or achieving. Um, we're saved by trusting God, believing God, not by working for our salvation. We're saved by surrendering to him, not by performing. We need a, a savior who died in our place, not a standard by which to live to. Um, and Paul gets all involved and understands this is this massive debacle which would destroy the Christian faith. So Paul, click, 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 he brings everything back to center and sets the church on the right path. Now, I want to end with Galatians. And worship team, if y'all want to come on out, you can. I want to end with Galatians 2. I'm going to start in verse 19. <clears throat> For through the law I died to the law. Galatians 2.19. For through the law, what's the law? Law of Moses. For through the law I died to the law. What does that mean? I recognize that I failed. I can't live up to the law of Moses. Nobody can. Follow me? 
For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for who? Go back to Michael's story. If I believe that if I hadn't fully experienced um, absolute failure on so many levels that God could resurrect the life of Jesus in me and through me, I would not be able to preach Jesus. Hang with me. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So that that is the gospel. You come and you exchange the brokenness of your life for who? Michael no longer lives. Wayne no longer lives. Sally no longer lives. Jennifer no longer lives. But the life of Christ now lives in me. God, I live by faith. Remember, faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, Jesus alone, to the glory of God alone. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained, in other words, if I could gain heaven on earth or in eternity through the law, Christ died for nothing. It is Christ plus nothing. What's it say right there? That's nothing new, by the way. Some of you are like, oh, that's cool. That's trendy. That must be new. No, it's not. It's 2,000 years old. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. It is just, it is faith alone. It is grace alone. It is Christ alone. It is scripture alone. It is to the glory of God alone. It is just Jesus. And at this like watershed moment of Acts 15, when they are in this huge wrestling match and God is um, allowing them to go through this and they're click, 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 a few clicks off and they're running down the wrong road. This whole ship is about to be shipwrecked. You have God raising up Paul to call them back. Now let's keep reading. Chapter three, verse one. And he is so strong here. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He is saying that the Pharisees are bewitched. He's saying that the Jews who are teaching circumcision plus the law of Moses equals salvation are bewitched. He says further, we read it earlier in chapter two, that Peter was bewitched, that Barnabas was bewitched, that Michael was, he didn't say this, I said, that Michael was bewitched. Now here's the warning for us in this Jesus journey. Don't forsake, don't let go of the reality that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, not through anything we do. We are not sanctified even by what we do. It is the inner transformation of the human life and Jesus living his life in us and through us that that empowers us to even um, transform human behavior and God works his kingdom will and way in and through us so that we begin to change over time. That's the transformation. That's why I'm always saying, hey, get in your one-year Bible. Hey, open a five-year journal. Hey, write some morning declarations. Hey, linger worshiping King Jesus because as it is in those things that the life of Christ begins to live in you and through you and all of a sudden you begin to experience transformation. If I stood up here in front of you in 2008 when I got out of that nasty cold I was in, you wouldn't even recognize me. I wouldn't even recognize me, and I certainly couldn't have opened my mouth and preached the gospel. But day by day, step by step, little by little, transformation by transformation, I'm appropriating and applying the life of Christ in me and through me. It's what Paul did. It's what Peter did. It's what James did. It's what Barnabas did. Are there going to be times where, click, 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 we become bewitched? Yeah, what do we do? Lord, would you forgive me? Click, click, click. Back on center. 
We fall, we repent, we get up, we appropriate the life, death, and resurrection of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? Okay, I'm gonna say one more thing, then we're gonna close in a song. If you're here today, and you have never deeply and authentically made this exchange that I'm talking about. So if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, let me say it to you like this. God has a purpose and a design for you. Scripture says, the Bible says he knows the hairs on your head or lack of them. Uh, Scripture says he knows everything about you. Scripture even says in Isaiah 49, he has you engraved on the palm of his hand. He loves you. He has a purpose and and a plan for your life. If you don't know this, your sin, my sin, separates us from relationship with a holy God. I could give you a whole host of scriptures. But Christ Jesus came in human form. It's the only religion where God came to earth and took on human form and made a way that we couldn't breach. My unrighteousness, my sin, will not let me into relationship with God for eternity or for the here and now. So Christ Jesus comes and he dies on a cross, fulfilling the Old Testament, becoming the Lamb of God, taking away the sin of the world. So here's the, here's the thing, though. You, if you've never made a decisive choice to say, I surrender my life to Jesus, I give you my life, would you forgive me? If you're not like Peter, click, 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 who has to recognize that you're wrong and repent and come back, there's this point in time where you surrender your heart and you get saved, you get born again. If you've never done that, I would actually say to you that don't walk out of this auditorium without doing it because God might have his gracious hand on you and he is definitely calling you into something more. You hear me? Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. Prayer team, would you come up? If you need special prayer, come forward. I'm going to jump right here. And if there's someone in this room who you've never made a decisive decision to give your life to Christ, don't walk out of here without it. Come forward. And you might go, well, what if I'm embarrassed? Well, Jesus said, if you don't acknowledge me before people, I won't acknowledge you before God. It's okay if you're embarrassed. Ready? All right, let's stand up. If you need special prayer, come on down here. If you want to give your life to Jesus, I would love to pray with you. Let's close in a song, and then we will close out in prayer. Crucified to save me
Church, as you go today, go under the revelation that this is the God of the redeemed, the God that restores, the God that resurrects, the God that makes all things new. This is the God that is not dependent upon you and your salvation is not dependent upon you. It is dependent upon the finished work of King Jesus. Father, as we go today, I pray that we could rest in you and the resurrection power of Jesus would work in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening today and being part of the Saltbox online community. If we can pray for you in any way, please leave us a comment below or connect with us through saltboxchurch.com. Remember, just Jesus, nothing more, nothing less.